Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devinder Hardware. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, today, we got a lot of stuff we want to talk about, uh, but first we are going to start with some what we've been watching, move on into a discussion of uh, the main review this week, and that is Arrival, the new film by Denis Villeneuve. That's all we got on tap for you today, but there is one thing that I should mention we will be talking about, and that is the results of the election, uh, the 2016 United States election. Uh, it has taken a lot of us by surprise, and there's a lot to discuss. And uh, in the past, we've gotten some pretty mixed feedback about our uh, uh, politics talk. Uh, some people have said, yeah, keep doing it. And some people have said, this is terrible. I hate it. Uh, but I just wanted to give everyone a warning up top that, uh, firstly, you should always expect us to discuss political issues on the show and how movies relate to politics and movies relate to life and uh, and vice versa. And we will keep doing that no matter what happens. That's just the way yeah. we're wired. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. I just want to I just want to piggyback on that real quick, not to get off on a tangent, but um, one of the things that that bothers me a lot uh, as a person that puts out a lot of different shows about a lot of different topics is the is the idea that a lot of people present that you one can stick to uh talking about video games or movies <laughs> and somehow not have politics or uh, the larger world's issues be represented or be uh, talked about as well uh, I just I, I don't think that's possible. Politics is is permeates everything and is relevant to everything. And this idea of you know just well stick to the fun stuff and and don't get messy and and put those you know thoughts out that you think uh, it's like well it's it's all part of it. And there's yeah. no such thing as an objective review of anything. So anyway, yeah, and now to- now more than ever it is going to be impacting our lives. I feel. Uh, but uh, yeah, so for those who don't want to hear explicit politics talk, just skip to the review, even though we will likely be talking about politics during the review as well. But uh, we probably won't be talking about the election during the review. So just skip to that. Use the timestamps uh, to get to that if you don't want to hear it. We're trying to give you the option of what you want to listen to. Uh, that being said, we will be talking about the election. So uh, before we get to that, actually, Devendra, why don't you tell us what you've been watching this week? Uh, yeah, guys. Uh, this week I watched a hopeful band of uh you know people uh, who who want to make the world better uh try, you know take on an evil an evil force you know and uh at the last minute the bad guys won <laughs> uh but enough about the empire strikes back uh, let's talk about the US election guys <laughs> let's do it nice boom, boom goes, goes the country <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's what i thought in my head boom goes the country actually all right well so i think there's obviously a lot of emotions to feel. I think I want to ask you guys what kind of your top line concerns are after mm-hmm. this week. Like, well, what what is at the top of your mind? Because we my the, life. The, the, there's Dave. fifty emotions to feel. Your, <laughs> my your, your life. life. Okay, let's get down. That? Let's get down to the specifics, though. Right? Like, what about yeah. your life? Because I will tell you, this yeah. election has has significant consequences for my personal life and like yes. what I am choosing to do with my life. I mean. Yeah. Uh, at the very at the base level, like looking at the, I, I think there have been hundreds of reported incidents now of like racial uh, discrimination, like crazy things, like swastikas and things being, uh, you know, painted on walls and whatnot, and people being um, 
harassed just for what they look like. You know, uh, I see a lot of reports, even here in New York, of like people wearing Muslim garb uh, being harassed by people because they think they uh, those people feel like they can do that because Trump is president now. Like there's it feels like so much the worst impulses of racism and xenophobia are now allowed. And that terrifies me, you know, as a brown dude, as somebody living in New York and as somebody who cares about um, you know, the concerns of people of color, which this country doesn't are, we're already in a bad place, you know, have now you now, have you experienced explicit racism, uh, before in your life? Oh, for sure, it, dude. Like, yeah, per, after nine eleven, things weren't great in our small hamlet of, uh, Amherst, Massachusetts, even, uh, things were not good. And that was a liberal arts college in a liberal town. Uh, I feel for anybody who's, you know, anywhere else in America, my parents are in Georgia and I'm worried about like what could happen, you know? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, Asians are, are starting to being targeted as well. I think uh, we are not a minority that was explicitly targeted during the Trump campaign in terms of uh, a minority group that is making the country worse. Right. But well, he, we did, see, he blamed the global warming on China. <laughs> he, and yeah, he, and like, he's been talking a, yeah. a lot about how China is taking our jobs and, yeah. and from a trade perspective. Uh, but so, so I suspect that uh, that. Chinese people, Asian people will be targeted at some point in the future, you know, and yeah. I can't assume that they won't be. It's been about, as we record this, it's been about five days after uh, Trump, or four days after Trump was declared the winner of the election. He has done nothing to disavow the uh, racially mm-hmm. motivated crimes. Uh, the support the of country. the KKK. The support like of the KKK. Yeah, none of that stuff has been disavowed. Yeah. He doesn't need their support anymore. He's already won. Uh, but he still doesn't disavow them. And so it, for me, it makes it feel like uh, this is going to get a lot worse uh, for, for people who don't look white. And uh, so that being said, Jeff, as someone who does look white, <laughs> how Guys, what I are, look so white. You, you are so white, Jeff. So as someone who does look white, you know, your concerns are probably a, a bit different than ours, but uh, I don't want to minimize them. You know, what... What issues do you feel like you're facing today, especially having just had a had a kid? Yeah, well, I, I you know I have a lot of them. First, I'll start with what you guys have already brought up, which is you know while while I won't face them in the same way you will, I'm certainly sympathetic to that. Uh, I I think um, part of that fear that everyone is expressing that you guys have just expressed and so many other people have expressed comes from the fact that this is a man who well libely i mean has has literally said whatever like we have no frame of reference we have no indication as to what he's liable to say from one moment to the next so the if someone is looking at this and thinking these fears are irrational like oh he didn't say anything about Asians why is the asian guy getting upset well we don't know he can say anything at, at, yeah. You know, the, the well, irrational fear comes from ir- irrational behavior, right? Yeah. So Andrew Kaczynski of CNN went on a tweet storm recently essentially saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, anyone who tells you that they know what Donald Trump is going to do when he gets to office is lying. This guy, exactly. Andrew Kaczynski, has spent uh, the last year pouring over uh, Donald Trump's previous remarks. He's the one that unearthed the Howard Stern tape about uh, the Iraq war and that kind of thing. And he said that Donald Trump has taken – Every position on every major issue over the years except 
for one, which is trade. He's been pretty consistent about that. But every other thing, he has taken every single position on. And so you just don't know, but I think that uh, the one uh, sort of overriding uh, sense that one gets is, you know, one of nationalism, the idea uh, sure. that, like, white supremacy. And, and so regardless of whether he's targeted Asians or not, uh, I mean, he has emboldened and normalized uh, people who want to denigrate non-whites based on race. And that, and that, is, that is a very concerning thing for me. I mean, that, as someone who just had a kid and understands that these things do permeate the culture. You know, the thing that, that happens at the top that little kids see as – and, and it's not not even just the the racism and xenophobia, and that, that's very bad. But it's it's how that is expressed. It's the bullying nature of who he is. It's the it's the tacit endorsement of say anything as long as you win. I mean, mm-hmm. We've lived in a culture that's that gave lip service to it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game, and that is just completely dead. That's completely dead. Um, be- because what people have seen is you can be a bully. You, you can, can do you can whatever. Do, you can grab doesn't women matter. by their private parts. You can do whatever you want. Right. And it doesn't matter. You can still achieve the highest office in the land right. uh, and one of the most powerful positions in the entire world. It doesn't, if, you're, it, if you're a white dude. If, like if you're a white that's, dude. That's yeah, it. if you were a woman yeah. or uh, – The most a, prepared woman, the most prepared candidate – Ever to run for office, right? Yeah. And and we should say, yeah. yeah, we should say, of course, that Hillary Clinton certainly had her flaws as a candidate. But uh, uh, and, yeah, I don't and, even and, want to relitigate the election, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, yeah, I think, let's just accept um, the new reality rather than like figure out it what it exactly sucks, went wrong. You know, yet. and it's hard, but um, <laughs> yeah. I but mean, but I, I do, I do want to say this about uh, about the election, which is, I think there is a lot of. One thing I want to just be be cautious of as as we're talking as we're making generalizations like what we just said, Jeff, right? About uh, you can be all these horrible things and still win. Derek Thompson had a great tweet and, and post at the Atlantic uh, where he tweeted: "A lot of liberal writers have been dr- dramatically updating their idea of what kind of a country America is, but I think this is important to say." And then he posted this little note on Twitter. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. She lost Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania by a combined 100,000 votes. That is 0.04% of registered voters. Doesn't matter. One, hold on, just let me finish, okay? One in 2,500. That is nothing. Barely a Jill Stein, a statistical speck. Yesterday, a nation of 300 million was maybe 50,000 human decisions away from a completely different morning narrative about who we are. This is sad to comprehend for many, but also, I think, far less dramatic than this morning's reaction, which, of course, has to be binary and dramatic, makes it seem, end quote. So uh, I, I know it doesn't matter for, in terms of what yeah. the reality we're living with is today. No, it's it not very comforting. Matter, but no, it, no, also I guess, doesn't matter, it also doesn't matter on a whole variety of levels, Dave, yes. because yeah, you know, the, the, the Chicago Cubs won in Game 7 – uh, on a tie game in the late innings by, you know, just uh, of the tiniest of margins. No one cares. They are the champions, and they will always be remembered as the champions. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I, I think the only thing I want to avoid generalizing, too, is what kind of country we live in overall. You know, that like more people voted for Hillary than voted for Donald Trump. You know, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's very easy to – gen- country. 
That's the yeah, thing. It's, like, it's true. It's true. We we're quick to say well, it's, that it's not it's as half, bad. As it's half of half the country. Half of half the country. <laughs> right. Because you said other, half the country the didn't people vote. who yeah. just didn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Bother yes. to fucking that's, show up. That's yeah. terrible. Anyway. Um, uh, yeah. So I want to so. even – I want to – because you started with um, what are my concerns and, and mm-hmm. as a white man. And um, you know, I think that <laughs> I do not want to – do not at any point want to minimize how terrifying it is for people of color, for women – um, and the fact that 49% of women voted for him is kind of incomprehensible to me. But um, those things are huge and are way on my mind and way on the concerns that I have uh, raising a child in, in that environment and, and in a world that is as hostile to uh, anyone that's different from sort of this historical normal. Uh, it, it's terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. But – there's room for plenty of more concerns as well in yep. my head. Yep. One of which is uh, a an in, not just the top of the ticket, but an entire cabinet, an entire transition team, an entire group of people that are climate deniers. That are uh, one of the first things he pledges to do in his first hundred days is roll back every single advance we've 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 made in the in attacking climate change mm-hmm. it, it is horrifying to me horrif like horrifying to my core how how anti-science and anti-truth that is but that's not even the worst thing either i mean all the people that said this was a vote against corruption here's a man who we don't know the extent of his business practices because he didn't release his taxes. We don't know where his money comes from. We do know that he has over 500 businesses and they're all private. So we, they don't have to release any information and they all are tied into things that he and his family and his team will have direct control over. It is an unprecedented level of, of, Conflict, conflict, uh, conflict of interest. Conflict of interest, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, conf- come to that. Um, and that should be terrifying to everybody. I mean, the, the, all the people that, that wanted a change because they felt like uh, Washington was corrupt and looked at Hillary as this Washington insider who was beholden to Wall Street. Well, guess what? This is a man that's not just beholden to – he's not really beholden to Wall Street. He's beholden to himself and his family. And and the idea that he's going to you know put his stuff in a blind trust has already in like three days been completely blown apart because the people, his children, that he says are going to operate a blind trust, which by the way he's using that term completely wrong, uh, are in charge of his transition team. So they are directly in control of both his business holdings and the policy of the country. That's that's wrong. And yet mm-hmm. that's also not even the worst thing. I mean, there are there is an attack on on the media that we should be terrified about. So even the people that we we hold up as the people that should be holding uh, our leaders accountable and and kind of coming to some objectionable uh, objective proof proof truth, objective truth uh are going to be completely undermined. Uh the the idea that uh, you know, they could actually attack the filibuster and and repeal the the filibuster is a real thing that could happen. So mm-hmm. any power that 
the Democrats have to stop anything could be completely stripped away. Uh, <laughs> we are – there's something like um, 12 seats required that, that the Democrats have right now to stop a uh, constitutional amendment. So you could literally have one party remove the filibuster and start changing the constitution and there's nothing anyone could do about it. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah. it, there are there are so many levels of things to be worried about that I I don't even know I don't even know what to do with myself. Yeah, it's and to me the I think one of the scariest things is like the attack on the nature of reality. That's the thing, right? If you can't talk about things yes. as facts, things that exist rather than just listening to the guy who's loudest and, you know, who has the most bravado, you can't get anything done. So, yeah, uh, I'm, and, I'm incredibly and so, worried there. He's so wrapped up in conspiracy theories and the people that he, you know, the Rob Joneses of the world, the people that he gets mm-hmm. his information from. This is the man at the top and and to think that you know, I read an interesting article yesterday about um, you know, the ramp up to the Iraq war and how the media for a large extent just got their information from the government. And mm-hmm. you know we, they said, "Oh, Iraq is has nuclear weapons. They're you know they're they're enriching uranium. Here's the information." The, the New Yorker famous or the New York Times famously was instrumental in helping leak yep. information that turned out to be completely false because they got it from inside sources. If we have a a government and in a in a in a White House that decides what reality is and and just invents things or creates and, and we don't have a media that's able to fact check like we they've been proven incompetent to the job of discerning what the truth is and making that obvious I, to the public it's i it's don't even terrifying. know if it's incompetent i think it's very like very clear yeah, to, that they know that they're lying and that's the problem to, yeah. and to be fair we should say there's been some great reporting on donald trump in the last six to twelve months great uh, wholly ignored report <laughs> exactly yeah. uh, you know so that's one of the most firstly uh, just to to support your point jeff uh half an hour before we started recording donald trump tweeted uh, the New York Times states today that Donald Trump believes more countries should acquire nuclear weapons. How dishonest are they? I never said this, which, by the way, is something that he has been on tape. You can watch the tape as him saying. So I think uh, we will continue to see a- an assault on our conception of, uh, of empirical reality uh, in the days to come. The, uh, the assault on press that's already happened by Donald Trump on Twitter after he's been elected is very concerning. Uh, and he's already said he's going to tighten up libel laws and make it more difficult for people to print things and uh, easier to sue, yeah. easier to sue. And so I, I don't know what that means for people like us who are in the media, whose job mm-hmm. it is to talk about things publicly. Like if we uh, give Ten Cloverfield Lane a negative review, does that mean Dan Tracton <laughs> will, will be able to sue us in the future? We literally don't know. Uh, and so I hope we are wrong. That is, Dave, you've described yeah. <laughs> my actual worst nightmare. Is Dan Trachtenberg suing me? Yeah, <laughs> we 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 don't know uh, mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And the thing is, all the all the tweets that Trump has made since he's been elected are are even more concerning to me because he no longer needs to campaign. He no longer needs yep. to pander, uh, but he's still 
continuing along the same path, which means I feel like maybe some part of him really believes these things, and it's going to be a whole different game when he has the uh, might of the U.S. military as well as the CIA and the NSA at his disposal. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. We just don't know what's going to happen. There's a and lot I of feel, unknowns. Yeah. I feel um, foolish uh, as somebody who sort of didn't and is on record <laughs> as as kind of not caring too much about uh, you know, oh, my cell phone, the, the NSA can hear me on my cell phone. And, uh, and everybody said, oh, yeah, it's fine when you trust your government. But what happens when and, – and I thought, oh, it's never going to happen in America. What do I have to worry about? You know, and, and now I'm – I mean I, just the other day, uh, I, a tweet that I tweeted months ago in the early part of the campaign, somebody at Breitbart News – yeah found and retweeted and i got this torrent of hate Bre- Bre- oh breitbart news you mean the organization that used to be run by his now potential chief of staff jeff yes that one yeah so i i listen my my problems are very small on the scale right yep. <laughs> but i'm i'm talking about my personal experience here and my mm-hmm. personal experience here is someone who whatever person is running the breitbart news official twitter was so vindictive that they evidently went back through a history of tweets or did some search or something and somehow I came up and I'm probably not the only one but I came up as months ago and they retweeted me as a way to sh- to sort of shine a light on anybody that and I, what I tweeted wasn't even that bad mm-hmm. uh shine a light on anybody that had cast doubt on on Trump or said something uh that they objected to and then they turned that spotlight on me and and pointed their followers to me to to uh, attack, right? Mm-hmm. Relatively mild on the scale of things to worry about, but but that, 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 that would be a whole lot scarier if the person that did that had the might of the U.S. government behind him, right? right? Mm-hmm. And the person that did that was thin-skinned enough to care about what people think about them, and you know, all of a sudden. The whole idea – the idea that he's attacking the media, he's attacking what people say that – and has done for this entire process, it calls into question this uh, this feeling of (laughs) literally being able to say what you want without repercussion in this country. Whatever you want. I I think if there's one good thing we can maybe take away from all this because it's it's mostly going to be terrible, I do think people are waking up to the fact that our democracy, our very civilization is a very fragile thing. Right. All it takes is a slight shift in the people in power and a slight shift in how, you know, the people who support them are thinking to completely change the way the world works and reshape the country for, you know, potentially decades. Like, you know, if he removes some of those environmental restrictions, that'll have lasting effects. Yeah. For a, well, long, a lot of experts time. already think we are past the point of no re- like, that yeah, if we yeah. started today with an intense yeah. carbon emission cutting plan, mm-hmm. that we would still be too late to undo a ton of the damage that's yeah. going to be done. We're, we're already, so, I think, two, two degrees past the breaking point uh, was the latest report, I think. Right. But, 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 uh, but that there's yeah. still hope. But that that hope yeah. is now probably going to go away. But, yeah. yeah. Given, so what I'm yeah. saying is like at least maybe people are like looking up, looking around and like maybe during the Obama presidency, you're like, oh, yeah, society's fine. Right. I don't have to worry about too much because we're generally moving towards a good thing. And now people are looking around like saying, oh, shit, I have to do something. I have to like get up. 
Um, so, yeah, and, and, and yeah, I think there were a more lot of action is happening now. You know, there were were a lot of people who voted for <laughs> Trump, who voted mm-hmm. for Trump because you know their lives weren't going okay, Devendra. That they hadn't yeah. seen the government, quote unquote, to do anything for them. Or so in, they think. In quite so some they time, think, right? exactly. Right? So they think. So they think. I mean, and yeah. and, and the GOP has, has done a great job mm-hmm. of selling them this story of how the government has done nothing for them, and oh, Obama's in charge of the government. Forget the fact that. And even dead. that, like we yeah. we've seen the demographics, right? It's not just uh, you know low-income blue-collar whites voting for trump it is yeah. people it's white collars it's people who are making you know middle income yeah, money upwards of you know more. 50 80 thousand a year yeah exactly so and- it's it seems more and more just like a resentment and that's a that's a different thing but what i'm saying is it, it's heartening to me to see people not taking this sitting down we kind of yeah, have yeah, to yeah, do, yeah. rise but- up a little and Say something. So, do something. The point I was simply trying to make is that we there are a lot of people who are pissed off that government hasn't done anything for them. Mm-hmm. They see, they saw Clinton as an establishment candidate who was going to just deliver more of the same, uh, and so they thought, hey, why not just roll the dice? You know, at least one guy is telling a story that sounds right to me. This one guy is telling a story that I believe in, which is that. The government is full of lobbyists and um, people who aren't don't give a shit about middle America. Blah blah blah. Uh, I'm going to vote for that guy, and, and the story really resonated with them. Uh, and I, you know, there's a whole separate conversation about how these narratives are really important at swing people. But mm-hmm. my disappointment is that yes, okay, uh, I, I understand that. Uh, the government hasn't done anything for you in your perception, you know, that maybe you wish the government would do more to help you out or, or that people feel like unseeming, uh, unfeeling plutocrats from your perspective. But this is not the solution. And Trump is not the solution to your problems. In fact, I would wager he will make them worse. But moreover, uh, he's dangerous in a, in a number of ways that we've already discussed. And it, it disappoints me that enough people didn't realize that to put a stop to it. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my overarching feeling of sadness from the election is that, hey, we have this guy who's now in power who's going to uh, endanger the lives of a lot of minority people in the country. Uh, and there's some people who don't care about that, but there's other people who do care about that, and they just wanted a, diff- they just wanted a change in Washington. Uh, but I, I don't know that they understood the full consequences of what they were voting for. Or maybe they did. Maybe everyone did, in which case – uh, you know, fuck us. Yeah, I, I don't know. exactly right, Jeff. You know, um, but yeah, but I, 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 I would I w- like to assume they didn't. Anyway, another point I want to make, you know, to you to you guys' point about um, uh, the racism and xenophobia, uh, it, it's not just all of these things we've been saying that I, I think for some terrible reason are are easy for white people to ignore. <laughs> um, it's not just that that people are going to be yelled at and told, called names. It's yeah. not just that people are in physical danger. It's not just that people might be deported or there maybe the people listening to this might take more out of it when when I bring up the fact that um there are a heck of a lot of foreign-born people that you know that have a big impact on the world, you know? People like Sundar Pichai at Google. You think the next Sundar Pichai is going to come to America? You think the next kid who's brilliant and wants to change the world is going to look at America and go, that's a welcoming place for me to go? I, I, Thomas Friedman made this point that we're not even going to feel the effects of this for 10 or 15 years when 
the, mm-hmm. the people that would have come – it's a brain drain on our country. The people that would have come here to enrich our lives and make this country great with their mm-hmm. innovation and their genius, the, the thing that America has done in the last 20 and 30 years by being this mecca for, for, for smart, motivated people to come and improve, it's, it's just not that anymore. It's, and it's, it's, it's really all around the world. People are looking at us differently than they did before Tuesday. Yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. right. Uh, you know, I, I, Bob Chipman made a really good point on Twitter after, uh, the election and, uh, and, and expressing some disappointment, which is just that all the forces of popular culture of, uh, I guess journalism, people who like to hunt for truth, you know, whatever. All these forces were arrayed against Donald Trump being elected. You know, the, that 55 newspapers endorsed Hillary Clinton. Uh, Josh Whedon launched a super PAC. Uh, every person who ever worked on Star Trek signed a letter saying they didn't support Donald Trump. And, and I could go on with countless other examples of people who – uh, have been involved in all the work that we discuss here every single week on the Slash Filmcast. Uh, all these people who fought for uh, a future that they thought was better via the only way they could, expressing their opinion and trying to persuade people. And it was not enough. Mm-hmm. And that also leaves me totally heartbroken. You know, just that we, all these things, all these things that we thought made. Uh, our lives and our pop culture great. Uh, they tried to advocate for this specific feature, and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, never, never look down the power of laziness. I guess. Like, I wonder <laughs> yeah. how much that is. Like, half yeah. the country didn't vote. Half the country didn't and vote, and and the real, you know, the the real reason that Clinton lost is not because Trump was able to turn out some outsized vote. He mm-hmm. he got fewer votes than Romney did in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was because the good guys didn't show up. More than that, I, I honestly think, um, and I know it's not just one thing. There's a whole variety of things. But the thing that has sort of resonated with me lately in the last couple of days is is how much fear, how much we underestimate fear mm-hmm. and and how terrorism and terror really has won. People are terrified and it It sucks. It sucks that mm-hmm. that's the a motivator, but it's a massive motivator. Yeah. And I think those of us that live, ironically, in the places that where we should be most terrified, the places that are actually big targets, you know, these big populated areas on the coasts, which tend to be the places that terrorists actually target, are somehow disconnected from the <laughs> level of actual terror that most of the country perceives. You know, that there's a lot of stuff that happened in 2016 that was really scary for a lot of white people. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it, you know, a lot of it is terrorism. A lot of it is these, this other that is coming into their country and trying to destroy it. And they don't know how to deal with it. And they'll do anything to stop it. They're really scared. And it's tying together those people that want to murder you with Mm -hmm. the people that also want to take your job and make you financially, uh, you know, unstable is a pretty effective strategy and it, it sucks, but it, I think it worked. 
Yeah, uh, part of it is fear. I think a part of it is also a feeling of economic disenfranchisement uh, or, or that there is a lot of people out there who feel like, like I said, the government, the, the news media, they're not doing anything to tell <laughs> their story and to help them out. And all they hear is people on the Slash Film cast complaining about how there's not enough Asian people in Doctor Strange yeah. when they're yeah. trying to make rent and uh, and they're white. And the, the trickle-down privileges of being white have not trickled down to them. Well, and the thing is, like, it's – I think from the de- demographics we've seen, it's not even that. It's not even that if you, you know, not – you're worried about your economics. It's more like whatever privileges that were there before – may not be there going forward. Like, that's the bigger thing. Even if you're a well-off-to-do, you know, white person, it's the move towards giving, you know, rights and privileges to other people and removing it from yourself that's right. generally right. terrifying to a lot of people. And that's a big chunk of Trump voters. And, we, yeah, we, just, and yeah. yeah, we should just make clear, it, it is white people who got Trump elected. If, if it yeah. was, uh, they received a majority of white men uh, and a majority of white women. And but he if, did better with Latinos than Romney that's did. That's true. He, he's yeah, better with blacks than Romney did. It is true. It's only thirty percent. Let's just give the entire like future elections to black women, please, because like they <laughs> voted like ninety five percent for Hillary, and like they're the only sane ones right now. Yeah, uh, uh, it's terrifying. L yeah. had a had an interesting piece about how uh, the the title of the article is "White Women Sent a Terrible Message on Tuesday, Whether They Meant to or Not," uh, and there, there's this quote that. Um, uh, L contributor Chedria Labouvier said, I wasn't surprised. There's this idea that white women experience and identify with gender, gender first and race second. And as a black woman, that has not been my experience. When forced to choose, they often choose race overwhelmingly. Uh, I also just wanted to highlight this other piece by Huffington Post. History tells us what will happen next with Brexit and Trump. And I'll link to, I'll link to these pieces in the show notes, but... Uh, Basically, this piece by Tobias Stone says that we are heading for a period of unpleasantness that we probably can't fathom yet. Yeah. Uh, And uh, that for our lives, gentlemen, here on the Slash Filmcast, most of our lives have been pretty good overall. I mean, you know, we probably had tough times sometimes, like economically it's been challenging. But overall, it's been pretty pretty good for us. You know, we've had peace uh, through most of the world. There's been wars that have been fought on behalf of America. People have died. Uh, but it's been pretty far removed from our everyday existence. I'm not saying that's true for everyone. I'm just trying to explain mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. it's like for us. Uh, and I think there's a distinct likelihood that that's not going to continue. This piece, yeah. by the way, com- begins by talking about the Black Plague and how uh, when the Black Death was happening, people thought, oh, my God. How how is um, humanity possibly going to continue? Mm-hmm. You know, imagine living through the Black Plague. Like that, that, this horror is enveloping the nation and the world, and you're thinking to yourself, "There's no way we're going to survive this." Their grasp of science was so rudimentary compared to what it is today. Yeah, and imagine how much unknown and fear there was back then. But humanity survived, uh, and so he writes here to Stone. I don't know what it will be, but we're entering a bad phase. It will be unpleasant for those living through it. Maybe even will unravel into being hellish and beyond imagination. Humans will come out of the other side, recover, and move on. The human race will be fine, changed, maybe better. But for those at the sharp end, 
for the thousands of Turkish teachers who just got fired, for the Russian dissidents and gulags, for people lying wounded in French hospitals after terrorist attacks, for those yet to fall, this will be their sum, S-O-M-M-E. What can we do? Again, looking back, probably not much. Liberal intellectuals are always in the minority. The people who see open societies being nicer to other people, not being racist, not fighting wars is a better way to live, they generally end up losing these fights. They don't fight dirty. They're terrible at appealing to the populace. They're less violent, so they end up in prisons, camps, and graves. We need to beware not to become divided. We need to avoid getting lost in arguing through facts and logic and counter the populist messages of passion and anger with our own similar messages. We need to understand and use social media. We need to harness a different fear. Fear of another world war nearly stopped World War II, but it didn't. We need to avoid our own echo chambers. Trump and Putin supporters don't read The Guardian, so writing there is just reassuring our friends. We need to find a way to bridge our closed groups to other closed groups. Try to cross the ever-widening social divides, end quote. I think the opposite is happening. I really do. And, it, and it, it, you know, you started this conversation, or at least my part of it, asking me what my concerns are. And um, on, on the kind of the most frivolous level, uh, I woke up on Wednesday – and I'm a person that really believes in people and clutches to my idealism and, and kind of builds an entire worldview around it. I, I, I love loving things. I, I'm, I'm a person that honestly believes that, that if we just all do the right thing, it's all going to be okay. And I woke up on Wednesday and I felt colder. I felt this impulse to retract into my world and go, well, okay, I just got to protect my wife and my kid yeah, and, and, and mm-hmm. do what's okay for us and keep my head down. And, and I felt more callous and I felt less warmth and it terrified me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's sad too. And, and Jeff, uh, I'm in exactly the same boat as you, man, you know, after the election, and the potential threats uh, it, pose, it posed to my way of living, uh, as it, I mean, we don't know what they are. Could be minor, could be major. We don't know. Uh, my initial impulse was, yeah, retreat, uh, figure bunker down, like hunker down, batten down the hatches, figure out how to protect what's important to me. And uh, that's sad mm-hmm. that that's what we felt, you know, the day after. And uh, and. Humanity will survive. It'll come on the other side, um, even if it's just a, a, f- a fraction of humanity after the nuclear wars. But uh, it's yeah. Be- I don't find that very heartening, guys. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There are billions of humans. Uh, America could be wiped out completely uh, in a nuclear wasteland, and humanity will survive. I don't find that heartening. <laughs> Well, um, so, well, sorry, sorry, yeah, I'm trying to be yeah. realistic here, but yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah. I, I can understand how you guys were feeling. Honestly, I felt. Uh, not cold, not retracted, but like angry. And I feel like I'm going to feel this way for the next four years, hopefully just four years. And who knows, maybe some of these many, many legal issues could lead to something else, although then we have Pence to deal with, who's even worse. Um, well, a Pence administration, I, I feel like it's and it very... it sounds like it, he's going to be leading much yeah, he's, of the he's going to be leading work. policy. Uh, what's concerning uh. is Trump wants to go around and keep doing the rallies, which, yep. you know, there's some historical antecedents for that. I really don't think rooting for impeachment yeah. is the right course. And I... I mean, this is a whole other conversation we probably don't have time for, but yeah. I don't even, mm-hmm. I don't even subscribe to the not my president thing. Like, yeah, 
They, we he won. He won fair and square. He is. We don't. Our know, we don't know about that, Jeff. Like we've already <laughs> seen. There's enough evidence of like a huge amount of voter disenfranchisement but happening, and they they gloated about it. And and I, also Russian interference guys, but, yeah. in the but election. You know what? what if if <laughs> yeah. Hillary had won, they would have been saying the exact same sure. right, thing, right. and they would Except have been like, moves to impeach would... her right away. It would. Right, be, I mean, right. they already they were already talking. If Hillary wins, we're going to try to impeach her. Like right. that it's is not. The not... Same thing, though. I want. I want to make that clear. That's not the same thing, right? She doesn't not... have the potential ties to the Russian government. She didn't have like whatever help from the FBI. That whatever the hell was happening there, who knows how much like Comey's last letter changed things. So... Engage with a Trump voter, and they will tell you that she yeah. had X, Y, and Z that are yeah, well, that's for sure. It, it, that all of that, I honestly think, it just continues the the march of decline i i honestly yeah, and I, I, I think I'm what you're saying jeff is you want there to be some respect for our institutions and that the, the outcome be respected or else how can we like get past it like if we don't but, respect yeah. the outcome then if if uh you know next time democrats win we can't be certain that they'll respect the outcome although like, i don't i don't necessarily would think anyway. that could be that's a solution and that's that's scary to me too because we've seen that our our, our institutions aren't you know, golden. They're not perfect. And we've seen how certain things can happen. For example, Trump getting elected or, um, or you know, Bush you, slightly winning the 2000 election. Things happen that I, I think it's worth pointing out like, hey, this is wrong. This is messed up. Um, I know, Jeff, like you haven't felt as good about the protests happening either. But that's to me is at least a sign that people aren't taking the sitting down. You know, I'm not a fan of the riots. That's something we should definitely avoid and we should try to be as peaceful in this as we can. But you can be peaceful and say, hey, this this is not the America I want. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, he is not your president because that's you. That's in the Constitution. You can say that. That's fine. For now. And yeah. I think that's yeah, that's what I we know can, you can say that. Promote. And I. And I respect the solidarity that that re- that represents, and I and I understand the need to come together and feel like there is some brotherhood in this this senselessness. Like I, I understand that simply marching with with someone and feeling like oh my gosh, there's a bunch of people that feel the same way as me it, it is a cathartic thing and is necessary. And I and I'm certainly not opposed to that. I am opposed to this sense that. You know, we have to burn Trump's image in effigy, and we need to say he's not my president, and we need to, you know, like uh, all of that. I think is 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 not helpful. And while it may feel good in the moment, ultimately, what's happening is there's this great divide in this country. There's this giant fissure, and I know it often <laughs> falls on the the most oppressed people to come together and it sucks that everybody's like, well, then, you know, the people that have been bearing the brunt of the bullshit for decades have to be the bigger people. But mm-hmm. I, I do think the Michelle Obama says as trite as it may be at this point, when they go low, we go high like that. Like it, it is super necessary not to stoop to a level that we would find unacceptable if the other side was yeah. doing it. I, I just know, I think there's a bit of a false equivalency there. I think there there is a need to be a little more forceful, a need to put our feet down and just say like, hey, this is this isn't just like you can try to have a dialogue, but at the same time, I, there's nothing wrong saying I don't support a racist. I don't support people who think you can cure homosexuals, you know, with medical procedures or something. And that's 
that's the thing. Like, we're always what, what's funny is, right, the progressives and the liberals, like, we're always expected to reach out for understanding. And I get that. And I want to do that. Um, but man, it's getting tough and tough. Yeah. yeah and, tougher and tougher. And as I just read, people who play fairly typically lose. And when we go low, they yeah. go, or when they go low, we go high. Didn't Hillary work. did that. Hillary did that. It, it didn't work this time. That to me is the saddest notion. It yeah, is the incredibly sad. Notion. It is that incredibly sad. sad. Yeah. I, I, you know, I heard a bunch of people say, you know, the next candidate needs to be a fighter and needs to fight dirty. And, you know, dude, that's just fuck that. You don't need you know? to fight dirty, but you need to fight. That's that, that's all I'm saying. I, I mean, I think she fought, but I, but, I agree. But, yeah. but yeah. the point, yeah. like, we, as I said earlier, it's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game is completely dead. And it's that is what we're supposed to teach our kids. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I agree. It, but Jeff, yeah, after this whole thing, I am much more sympathetic to the other side of that argument. Ahir Shah, who's a comedian, tweeted yesterday, uh, and this kind of it kind of made, what you said made me think of this, Jeff. Quote: For years, I shamefully failed to realize that men who shout "packy" at me from passing cars are actually experiencing a lot of economic anxiety. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, try to understand them. Yeah, and and I think that okay, yeah. Uh, in, in my opinion, this idea of hey, we need to we need to understand, bridge the divide, come together. That is not what the other side is doing. But and but Dave, I, I I totally agree with that, and I, I know it sucks that I'm the white guy saying this stuff. <laughs> it, it really does. I gotten a, I've gotten a lot of hate, just like, well, you're white, your opinion doesn't matter. I mean, people literally said that to me. Um, and maybe it's true. Maybe, you know, I know. I know. I need to listen, and and listening is a huge part of it. But I do think it needs to be said that somebody put it in a really great way. If you if you voted for Trump, it doesn't mean you're a racist. But if you're a racist, you definitely voted for Trump. Like I think that the people that call that dude Packy from the, out of the window are Trump supporters, no doubt. But there's a huge number of people that. Do not feel that way. That also supported him, right? And that's an important thing that we on on the left need to keep in our heads. That all we cannot paint with the same broad brush that they paint us with. Like they're 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 not all racists. Yes, they supported a racist. Yes, they did. But I, yeah, I, but they were yeah. they were duped by a con man. Yeah, and I, that's think, I, I think you're right, Jeff. That there is a portion of the electorate, a large enough portion that is persuadable, right? That that we could have won this with a different candidate, a different campaign. Uh, so I, I agree with you. Uh, I think I'm just – it's been an emotional week. You know, We're all processing this still. We have touched about 5% of the issues that this uh, election brings up in the last 45 minutes. And, uh, and so there's way more to talk about. But, uh, but yeah. I, I know I, that – I know that there are probably a lot of people that listen to our show that that have already turned this off and have already <laughs> fired off their angry email at us. Or I hope not, because I warned them at the top. But yeah, continue. Oh yeah, I'm sure that warning did a lot of good. <laughs> yep. Um, what do you guys think about that, Dave? You brought up something that I wanted to hit on again, and I don't want to. I, I really want to know what you guys think because you, you said. Um, you know the guys on the slash film cast who review Doctor Strange and say it needs to have more Asian people in it. I I don't even know how to ask yeah. the question. I, so I will say. So here's what I'll say. Uh, I, you know I think um, 
I was listening to Dan Savage on the Blabbermouth podcast, which is one of the official Stranger podcasts, uh, and he said something that I thought was was pretty astute. Uh, he said, you know, there's there's a lot of language policing and diversity policing that goes on from the liberal side. And maybe we did so much of that that we forgot mm-hmm. who our true enemy was. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of that that's true. On the other hand, I don't, I don't think there's any possibility that the slash film cast influenced the outcome of even, <laughs> of even a saying. portion of the election. No, do you know what I'm saying? Go. But I'm saying, like, that is not our job. To talk, like, it, I, I think I'm okay with us complaining about diversity in Doctor Strange. But I think overall, in general, the PC culture, uh, there is often too much focus upon making people use the right words. And again, this right, is right. something I admit we have done. I have done on the podcast. <laughs> There's a lot of focus about making people use the right words and making sure we include everyone's voice and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and we forgot who the true enemy was. We forgot the people who are actually trying to threaten our way of life. Scott Derrickson is on the right side. He is trying to make things better for minority people. Um, and uh, the one takeaway I have is that it is easy to lose sight of that fact. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that you know I will endeavor. I, I don't know that it would have changed anything I said because I still – I'm actually very proud of the – the Doctor no, Strange episode, episode that we did. I just re-listened to it as well. Yeah, it was I, a great. Discussion. I'm very proud of that episode. Of that discussion. I'm not but, suggesting otherwise. Yeah, yeah, okay. but but uh, but I do agree that there is something about uh, that. There are a lot of people who hear these problems that people like us have with movies like Doctor Strange, and it has nothing to do with their lives, well, and sure. they can't relate with that at all. But and, that's, that's that's the thing. It's it's basic empathy. For right, right, but, fellow man, but you know, writ just, large, writ large, right? Yeah. There's a media uh, who's sometimes liberal slanting that uh, that speaks about the issues like that, issues like diversity in Doctor Strange, and people yeah. watch it and they think that person has no idea what I'm going through. But right? or wait, Dave, are you apologizing for what are you, what are you saying? I'm saying uh, I'm, I'm just saying that I think it's important for people who are liberals who are who are fighting against the forces of Trump to remember who their true enemy is. And it's not uh, people like Scott Derrickson, and it's not people who accidentally use the wrong gendered pronoun, right, uh, right, right. but who are trying to get it right. It's people like, who are trying to take away your ability to live in the way that you want to live. Mm-hmm. And, well, that's definitely more of the focus now, right? Now that the world is a hellscape. When the world was not a hellscape, <laughs> we could focus on yes. the other. Ma- like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs says that yes. once we have the ability to be free from nuclear war, exactly. we can focus on the number of Asian people in Doctor Strange. Yes. But now that we're back down, <laughs> but, now that we're back but, down but, to no. that level, yeah, we need to we need to have a different conversation. Yeah, I'm so. not. I'm certainly not going to apologize though for anybody who who complains about social justice warriors. And my God, like just wait the next four years. Like there there's a lot of social justice to be fighting. For. <laughs> Yeah, and I think there's going to be a lot. You know, Jeff. I think one of the bright sides is that I think this this thing was a. I'm sorry that it was necessary, but this election was a huge wake up call. Uh, and I think yeah, that's there, what will, I there will be a lot of mobilization. There's going to be yeah. uh, people are fighting this, and they're doing so on the streets. And it might not be in the way that we wish it would play out, but I appreciate the passion and and. That there is this kind of primal scream going on right now in America of yeah. we are not going to go quietly into the night, you know. And, yeah, and no, I, I think that's yeah. great. And I, you know, I, you know, I don't know. It's I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate mail because um, I'm the white dude. But um, I don't think anything you said is disrespectful, Jeff. So I hope, I, I hope that's I, true. I would say don't send Jeff that, hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I that's, implore that you. Should, that should stop. <laughs> it. That should stop him. Yeah. Um, 
I do. I do. My, my position on this is is simply that um, all of us <laughs> just take it for granted that it would be a good thing that more people were represented. It. It. We just like. It's just obvious. Yeah. It's like we don't like the whole position of this this discussion. We just took it for granted that Trump winning is a terrible thing. Correct. And and I think that there are a whole bunch of people in our audience, yep. and I'm sure a lot of them are going to be writing emails and being very or, angry, or, or no longer in our audience after this, or no longer <laughs> in our audience, or you know just going to write that angry um, iTunes review and then uh, you know unsubscribe. Um, that just like live in a different planet than we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that to me was the the most shocking part is how yeah. many people just have a completely different reality that they live yes. in yeah. than I do. Yeah, and it makes we're, it we're, fe- it feels mm-hmm. very unbridgeable. Like we we live in empirically different realities, right? That yeah. some Their people facts are like are different than my facts. Yep. Yep. And like Hillary is going to ruin the government with her corruption, you know, and we a didn't feel that way and b see that trump is doing the same thing but maybe they don't think that and so yeah i agree it feels very intractable and mm-hmm. a huge problem Divindra, and, you know yeah why don't you thing, have the last word on this one thing we didn't bring up in all of this too i think it's not only the inherent i think sort of racism that this whole election is a nurse but uh, the inherent sexism in american culture yeah. like that's that's the lasting takeaway here, right? You have the most, yeah, the most prepared candidate, one of the most experienced presidential candidates ever, um, to try to 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 run for office, and she's defeated by a guy with no experience, with no ideas, with nothing other than bluster and bravado, and like we we can't really get the metrics for this, but you look at the situation, and it's hard not to see how this is the experience of so many women. Uh, in America, trying to get ahead in the workforce, like you just have to be a dude. You just have to be a white dude, and you will fail upwards. Um, people will support you, and it doesn't matter what you do as a woman. Uh, you know, you, you'll be kind of beaten down in a way, and that I think is the saddest takeaway from this entire election for me. Yeah, I was hoping this election would be a repudiation of that notion, but yeah. uh, it, instead it was a reaffirmation of it. Yeah. One side effect of the election is that it makes pretty much anything else seem unimportant by comparison. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I had to write about gadgets the next day. Yeah, I exactly. didn't care. Exactly. I didn't care. So, so, so in that spirit... <laughs> I thought you were going to say, Dave, so that's what you've been watching this week, Devendra. <laughs> so that, that, that's what you've been watching this week. Let me talk about Sing Street, guys. <laughs> you know what? Sing Street is a wonderful, feel-good uh, distraction, I think. I, I, yeah. I'm all for watching more Sing Street this week. <laughs> so I saw Sing Street this week. Okay, so let's move on. Again, we've only talked about a small portion of things, and uh, maybe we're going to figure out a way to talk about you know, it more in a different context context but uh in the meantime we must move on because there is actually some some good movies to talk about today uh if you've listened this far thanks for doing so um hope you found the conversation at the very least interesting if not encouraging uh sing street again Mm-hmm. Totally inconsequential compared to the election. <laughs> Feel, feels but completely what a, what stupid. Nice escape, feels right? stupid. Like I, it feels yeah. so stupid to even be talking about this. If you <laughs> if you look at my Twitter feed, it's just all election stuff or ninety yeah. percent election stuff because I can't think about anything else. Yeah, but this um, is kind of the movie we need right now to help us survive this whatever is happening. Uh, Sing Street is written and directed by John Carney, who is one of the people behind Once 
And uh, according to IMDb, the plot summary is a boy growing up in Dublin during the 1980s escapes his strained family life by starting a band to impress the mysterious girl he likes. Uh, So uh, I watched this movie because you guys had heavily recommended it. It seemed right up my alley. And also we're making our top ten list of the year, and I was wondering if this would be on the list. Um, I don't think it will make it on the list, unfortunately. Uh, But I still really enjoy it. Go. I love the idea that all the movies that we're going to review are like, you know what? I thought this was going to be good, but there's a cold, dark place in my heart while I watched it that I can't really explain. An inescapable void. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the movie made me feel that or something else, but I just can't like this movie. Any- I can't really like anything anymore. Yeah. Here's here's what I'll say about this movie is that it uh, it has a lot of uh, you know the, the same qualities as other uh, John Carney films. It, it feels like the plot is – secondary compared to the emotions the character interactions and the music mm-hmm. and and you know the, the style of music it's it's a lot of uh different genres from the 80s if you are not a fan of the music uh, in this movie i don't think you'll like the movie but it's one of those you're a monster <laughs> exactly. it's one of those movies that like it's very heavily dependent on uh on the music to right. to like for you to like the movie because if you don't like it you just vast vast portions maybe half the movie has this music and people playing it. Here's what I really like about the movie, okay, is it does a really good job of capturing what it's like to be in high school and just be writing uh, music and anything's possible. Maybe I'll be in a band. Maybe the band will be big. Maybe I'll write a song. High school too, right? And being an outcast, yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe I'll... um, Write a song that you know a hundred thousand people will listen to. Maybe I'll get to play in a concert one day, and just like sitting down and uh, with a friend and kind of hammering out those phrases and those chords and those notes. Um, very few movies capture that that pure joy of unbridled creativity like Sing Street does. So, uh, you know that alone is enough to re- re- recommend the movie. And by the way, I should point out that Sing Street is on Netflix right now. So. Uh, mm-hmm. You can watch it there if you'd like. I thought the characters were great, really well drawn, well acted, uh, and like the main character. I think you guys pointed out the main character's brother was a pretty awesome and unique yeah. character that we yeah. typically yeah. don't, yeah, we don't yes. see in films. Uh, and so, yeah, I really liked all that stuff. And um, you know, I think the plot is fine. It's not particularly mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, and. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even feel like I, I even want to bring up that the movie does not pass the Bechdel test, but yeah, I just but yeah. I just did, but I just did, sure. um, because it's because it's very guys, much about a guy and his like desire for a girl. Yeah, uh, because you know what, guys, slash film cast got a slash film cast. So, we uh, do, we but, but but you know, aside from the, all those things, I, I think the movie is very enjoyable. It's very light. Uh, I will say it, it did last a, a bit longer. M- uh, my significant other and I were watching this film. We got an hour and five minutes into the movie, and we're like, "Okay, this movie's this movie's got to be wrapping up right now, right?" And then learned <laughs> that there's another forty minutes left. Uh, it's not a movie that I feel warrants a one hour and forty five minute runtime, just because there's not that much plot. But uh, it is something that overall I enjoyed and, and got a lot of uh, got a lot of pleasure out of. So, are you saying that you did not enjoy the music? Uh, I thought the music was fine, but I can see oh, I could see that if Dave. if uh, if I didn't like the music, 
that the movie would be torturous for me. So I like how I you're bring... talking around this. No, 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 yeah. yeah. I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was bad, but I just thought to myself, huh, if I hated this music, then I probably would hate this movie. And I feel the need to bring that up for people who might not like that kind of music. So uh, my, my, I like that this movie wasn't just once uh, all over again, which Begin Again was pretty much that. So I like John Carter. Yeah, it, it does feel like a significant uh, step forward from a filmmaking perspective from once. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, yeah. And, and there's I like that like in a week where people could use a wholly joyous experience, I had to take a crap uh, you don't, all over. You don't it. describe what Devinder and I thought of as a wholly joyous experience in those terms. I would say I would say it is a seventy percent joyous experience. <laughs> That's how I would describe it, Jeff. So Sing Street, it's available on Netflix right really? now. And really from Dave, that's about as good as it can get. <laughs> uh, Your joy uh, level is capped at 70. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, Jeff and Devendra loved it. I thought it was pretty good, uh, and I would still recommend it. So it's on Netflix, Sing Street. That's what I've been watching this week. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week? Well, Dave, as <laughs> In the same way that you decided to watch Sing Street because – Which is something that you guys recommended, yep. Yes, uh-huh. and, and we said we'll likely be on our top movies of the year list. I heard you say – I think it was – I don't think we, it was part of the episode. I think it may have been after we recorded or before yeah. we recorded. But you mentioned how difficult it was going to be this year for you to compile your list because there are so many great movies. And, and I agree, lots of great movies this year. But also that uh, so many of, of the movies that you – want to consider for your list are documentaries correct mm-hmm. and one of the documentaries that you have been effusive about uh over several months now <laughs> is a documentary called tickled yep so i because i'm your friend and because i'm an active <laughs> participant on the show decided that i wanted to see what might be on dave's list because maybe it'll make my list right in the same way that you watch sing street i feel like this setup is not going to end happily but continue. yeah um <laughs> So uh, you guys also mentioned that it was available on video on demand. So what did I do, Dave? <laughs> I did the thing I never do. You blind bought it? Blind bought. OMG. Oh, <laughs> because uh, mostly because you couldn't rent it. Like Amazon oh. let me rent it. It only it made me pay $15 for a blind buy. But I bet oh, my friend Dave. Oh, man. <laughs> my friend Dave. <laughs> gonna put this on his list of the best movies of the year i gotta watch okay. this honey, okay. honey come in here bring the baby <laughs> <laughs> let's watch tickle together that's what we did last night um <laughs> i did not i did not enjoy this movie oh what? that's too bad david farrier by the way a big fan of the slice film cast yeah so. he's listening to oh, this I, right I, now yeah. well, let's go uh, but go but ahead wait, i want i want to hear yeah yeah why, why were you not speed. a fan oh uh, you guys both saw it great yeah um yeah, I thought that Devinder had mentioned seeing it too, but I looked back over our show notes and I couldn't find it. Uh, anyway, um, man, I feel bad now that he's listening. But <laughs> <laughs> we're listening. And after you had advocated for thirty minutes about positivity in the world, yes, just... <laughs> indeed. Um, it's a difficult movie to criticize without spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it is not at all what you know what you expect, and that's a good thing. Like I think yeah. it sets up a tantalizing mystery and uh i was completely drawn in by that mystery and i numerous times went what what has (laughs) been happening in in a very good way like that was a i was completely drawn in by that setup and uh, we sort of get these cookie crumbs of information that deepen the mystery and make it seem stranger and stranger as you go on 
And all of that was very good. I just think this is about half a movie. And there's, there is no resolution. Nothing happens really. We uncover some information. But what any other documentary I think would do is do something with it. And we see – like I said, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But there is a confrontation moment that is the most limp – <laughs> ineffectual confrontation I have ever seen in this context. Like it's yeah. basically somebody going, Hey, can we talk to you? No. Okay. <laughs> and I hate, I hate it. Cause I, if he's listening, I feel yeah. so terrible saying that, that is by the way, how most confrontational interviews go though. Like we, right. we okay, expect, fine. I, 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 this, yeah. And, and just, yeah. that you know, does not, that does not a climax of a movie. Make. Right. 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 Uh, and I'm sorry, but like, I felt completely unsatisfied after this. After okay. I felt like so, I watched half, yeah. uh, half of a, of a, I, I watched the setup to a movie. Right. I can see that. I, can I, see I, that. I, I disagree entirely because mm-hmm. I think the act of making the film was its own yeah. act of confrontation. It's about like the, the act, journey. The act yeah. of putting the film out into the world and potentially endangering oneself, which again, we're trying really hard to talk around what's going on in the film, <laughs> and potentially endangering one's livelihood. The dangerous I, world of competitive tickling, guys. Yeah, it no, no. The, no joke. No joke. Like endangering yes. one's livelihood. Um, endangering one's ability to exist, you know, in the world online, you know, without threat of, of being whatever attacked or sued out mm-hmm. of existence or whatever, that in itself is is an act of confrontation, right? Yeah. And that's kind of why I don't agree at all with your assessment <laughs> of the film, Jeff. I mean, but, I could I could see your point, Jeff, because the movie does just kind of end at a certain point. But for me, as a, you know, as a journalist, like this is the sort of thing you dream of. Like stumbling, like just going down a <laughs> rabbit hole of insanity, and I, I was wrapped. Like I love this entire journey, and it's fascinating. It's funny, but also kind of sad in a way too. And yeah, it's hard to talk around it. I do wish there was more than just um, you know a couple title cards at the end. And it does seem like there there is still stuff happening. Right when this movie premiered uh, in L.A., uh, one of the key uh, characters, <laughs> characters in the film yeah. showed up. Yeah. And like it's a whole thing. Like I think there could be some follow up to this too because this is not over yet. I'm actually planning well, then on don't put the movie. I mean, I guess putting the no, movie it's out still is, a movie. Yeah, There's yeah, still a story. Yeah, there. Putting the movie and also, by the way, the act of putting the movie out is what yeah. continues the story. Yes, you know, I get yes. that. So, I get that. But but I don't know. I I see what you guys are saying, and I agree with you, Devendra. The rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. I loved the rabbit hole. I just felt like the rabbit hole did not lead to Wonderland. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, life is messy. Yeah, unfortunately. And let's in an ideal world, right? This would end in like a nice big climax and something big would happen and somebody would go to jail. Uh, but at the end of the day, like money protects money, right? Privilege keeps yeah. people protected. And that's the big takeaway for me. Well, yeah, that's and a, I, I feel that's like there's takeaway, but like that's yeah. where we start. That's where we start. The, I don't know. I, I don't think I, it's where we start. I don't think it's where we start at all. I don't think it's where we <laughs> I mean, start at all, Jeff. I think yeah. we started in an entirely different place about yes. competitive tickling. And yeah. then, like, went yeah. further down that rabbit hole. I, right? I, you guys weren't ahead of it. There, there's a couple of things that were played as reveals where I was like, uh-huh. well, uh-huh. obviously. <laughs> right? All right. All right. right. All right. Well, Jeff, firstly, here's what we've learned today. Okay? <laughs> you should never take your wife to see something that I recommend. <laughs> I think that's, Wait, like. Did your wife like it, Jeff? No, we, we both. I mean, nobody was offended by it or anything. Okay. We just kind of both felt that it was. Ultimately, not a, a great use of our time because we didn't get anything <laughs> out of it. 
Like it didn't it didn't right. arrive anywhere. It, but it, you, did, you know more about the world of competitive tickling. Than that's you did. true. You know more world about. You've uh, learned. It, it, I, I just I'm so baffled by this reaction because it is <laughs> especially this week, right? Where yes. online yeah. trolls have helped to elect the president of the United States. Uh, it, it is. I feel something that is even more, and where, like you said, money and might rakes right. You know, is one of the lessons of this movie. I feel like it is more resonant than ever. But that's just me. So, fair enough. Tickled is available right now uh, on video on demand, and uh, you can blind buy it like Jeff and get disappointed, <laughs> or you can blind buy it like me and think it's an incredible uh, documentary that's going to be on two my commentaries on it, which is nice yeah. on the iTunes version. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I it, highly recommend watching Sing Street this week. <laughs> <laughs> it will be on my top ten of the year. Uh, uh, tickled will be. I mean, so uh, <laughs> anyway. That's what we've been watching this week, <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and I have a uh, an interview with David Ferrier, the director of Tickled, that I'll probably be releasing the next couple weeks. So look forward to that oh, as well. It's already happened. You can't pass along my apologies in any way. So I, what I did was uh, I did an interview with him when the movie came out and that incident that you des- described occurred, Devendra. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to do a separate interview probably this week. Just following up because st- stuff is still actively going on in the story. Uh, I would recommend you not Google what's going on if you don't want to be spoiled. Um, but uh, yes, I'll, I'll pass that along, Jeff, next time I chat with him. <laughs> so, uh, all right, let's move on. Before we get to our review of Arrival, we've got to thank the people who donated to the Slash Filmcast. Junko or Yunko from Grapevine, Texas, Stephen C. Steve T, thank you so much for your contributions. Thanks so much to subscribers Anthony, Francisco McGee, Barbara Garrow, and Karthik Ramesh as well for donating at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to support what we do here on the podcast, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the SlashFilmCast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Uh, sometimes it costs money to go see movies, to put on the show. Uh, and Blind buy things that Dave recommends. Blind buy Movies about competitive tickling that Dave Chen recommends. Uh, and uh, all this money that you donate helps to defray those costs. And so we really appreciate it. So if you want to support what we do here, more important than ever, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the SlashFilmCast tab, use the PayPal links. Let's get to our review of Arrival. There are days that define your story beyond your life. Like the day they arrived. Objects measure at least. I'm Colonel GT Weber from the intelligence. Pack your bags. You're at the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations. Priority one. What do they want? Where are they from? You'll be reporting to me, but you'll be working with him when you're in the shell. That's what they're calling the UFO. Who's being carted off in the medevac? Not everyone is wired for what you're about to do. So what do they look like? You'll see soon enough. Every 18 hours, a door opens up. That's where we go in. That was from the trailer of Arrival, the new film by Denis Villeneuve. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A linguist is recruited by the military to assist in translating alien communications. So... Uh, this movie is uh, a sci-fi film, but it's more I- along the lines of contact than it is Mars Attacks, right? Uh, it's more about <laughs> it's more yeah. about a, a cerebral exploration of how we behave, how we'd approach alien contact, uh, 
then it is a, a, a genre film where you get a lot of thrills, there's a lot of action and cool special effects. Um, so, so, you know, Jeff, I know you probably prefer the, this, the kind of film that makes you think rather than that tries to thrill you. Indeed. Uh, what did you think of Arrival overall? I absolutely loved it. It is, I think, probably stands atop my favorite movies of the year at this point. Um, it, it astounded me on every level. It, it is gorgeously shot. Uh, I mean, exquisite. It is uh, tantalizing. The the There are moments where, stretches of the movie where I was not breathing because I was so on the edge of my seat, so curious there's a there's a wonderful pacing of the beginning of this movie where we're sort of we're sort of methodically moving into finding out more about this first contact and the movie is so specific about how it's delivering that information and what we're seeing and what we're not seeing and how how long it's holding out on us that it it is so masterful in thrilling me and when I do get those reveals, they pay off in such spectacular fashion. Also, as you said, it's a movie that makes me think. You know, it's my favorite kind of movie. It's a movie about smart people being smart. <laughs> I love seeing how procedural this movie is, how much time and uh, specificity is given to the actual process uh, that these scientists are going through. And it all feels very realistic and authentic and modern. Uh, I mean, contact, I think works uh, in, in a lot of ways for me because it, it felt like scientists being scientists, but that also kind of feels a little old fashioned at this point. And this movie feels even more modern and more grounded and more genuine and seeing it honestly, after I saw it the day after the election, it landed on me in a, in a weird way. It's a bunch of, of, um, ultimately countries working together and how scientists do their jobs. It, it had a new kind of resonance. Uh, I loved the expression of the aliens. Uh, it's so difficult to come up with something genuinely fresh uh, when there are so many genre films and so many aliens out there in popular culture to come up with something that, that uh, sparks the imagination in a completely new way. And I came out of it, reeling uh, i've always wanted i mean i don't want to spoil anything um so i won't say that next point i i think this movie is uh one of the great science fiction films of all time uh, i loved it i thought the performances were fantastic i thought the ideas were thought-provoking and something i've carried forward and um you know it, it made me cry it made me uh, uh think it's wonderful devinder hardwar Overall thoughts on Arrival? Oh yeah, I uh, I love this movie. This is exactly my favorite kind of sci-fi. It's intelligent um, with great characters, but there's an emotional core to it uh, that kind of reminds me of um, things like Solaris. You know, sci-fi mo- movies that are almost like have sci-fi tangentially, although it's a lot more focused here. Uh, but it's something that tells you something about these characters and it really makes you feel for them. Uh, I liked Contact growing up, but that's a movie I've actually grown to dislike uh, just because it is kind of simplistic in what it does. And it's it's just a messy movie. This movie is so focused, so honed on what it wants to do. It's so beautiful. Like it, everything I want from like a classy piece of intelligent science fiction 
it just gets right. You know, Bradford Young cinematography. This guy cannot make a movie that looks bad. Um, incredible score and also good use of Max Richter uh, tracks throughout. That there's a really great uh, emotional track used early on in the film. I think it's like the opening bit, and it's just so. It is so dramatic. It's so emotional. I love Max Richter for that sort of thing. And yeah, great performance, great everything all around. This is really making me excited to see what uh, Villeneuve can do with uh, with Blade Runner 2. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be oh. insane. Oh. By the way, I just want to point out that uh, a, a while ago I, I made this tweet that I'm still <laughs> un- unreasonably proud of, uh-huh. uh, which is follow these steps for any yes. Denny Villeneuve movie. Uh, take the title of any Denis Villeneuve movie, insert in the following sentence, but who is the real blank? That is the theme of said movie. I don't, I don't think that works here, Dave. I, I, oh, I, oh, oh, it okay, totally let's, works. Let's get into it that. totally works. We're going to get into it in spoilers, though. <laughs> but my thoughts on the movie. Let's dive into that. Devendra, I completely agree with you. I think that the movie is incredibly beautiful, both from a cinematography perspective and from an editing perspective. I mean, the movie feels so meticulously put together. Uh, The movie opens with a camera tilt movement, right? Like a camera going up and down uh, on on the ceiling. And it's rare that you see a camera tilt being used as a visual, visual motif throughout the film that says something about the themes of the film, right? Which is uh, there's kind of this reveal going on that your eyes are open, that you see darkness, but then you see light. It's crazy. And the way the movie uh, jumps back and forth in time uh, and how it edits those pieces together. And like you said, Jeff, the gradual reveal of exactly what is going on uh, is all very brilliantly done. And uh, it leaves you asking all these questions about, like, what would I do if I was in that situation? Yes. You know, would I do the same thing? What does it mean to be human? You know, what is what is the nature of our language? Like, these kinds of questions, it doesn't answer any of these questions for you. It just asks a lot of them and lets you figure them out yourself. And uh, I feel like that's really strong. And, and uh, you know, a, a related point to what you were saying, Jeff, is this is a, not a movie – that holds your hand and explains a lot of things to you, right? It expects you to rise to the occasion. It ex- it's it's never a movie I felt like where the audience was ahead of the movie. It, you need to work to keep up with the movie, and um, and I really appreciated that. So I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. Uh, I really like the movie as well. It, and uh, like you said, Devin, the score is great. Johan Johansson did the score for uh, Sicario. Great minimalist score, uh, and I feel like the score is also good in this one. So Max Richter, uh, he's a, a his music is used in this movie, right? Yep, Divindra. Uh So it's like both of their their music is yeah. used. The score is Johansson's, but Max Richter he he does the music for uh, the Leftovers and a bunch of other shows. So good, yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts before we get to spoilers? Because there's a lot to dive into. We talked about some of the movies that it reminds you of. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I, I couldn't help but be reminded of Children of Men. Yeah, uh, yeah, it really has that sort of, I don't know, uh, tone, and uh, it feels like, oh my god, I'm watching something that is so confident and has something so specific to say. Um, it's just, it, I really think it stands alongside the, the great science fiction films. It's it's going to stand the test of time. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think Children of Men has more visceral thrills than this sure. movie does sure. but yeah. uh in, in terms of how contemplative it is about the future of humanity i feel like it's right up there and certainly. like the feeling i i had coming out of children of men where you know i i think is more there's nothing 
really thematically or or mm-hmm. stylistically that that correlates. It's just like the the level of craftsmanship brought to bear on a genre film. I think that's kind of what I yeah. how I felt. I, I guess a lot of credit also goes to the core story, right? Ted Chiang's story. Yes, which is it definitely takes some sci-fi tropes and kind of twists them in a way that they feel totally new and unique and heartbreaking. Yeah, agree completely, Devendra. So why don't we move on to the spoilers, because there's a lot more to discuss there. So spoilers for Arrival starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Do you want to see this coming? No. But you won't find it, because of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. So I think a, a good way to get into this might be this email that we got from a Slash Homecast listener. Did you guys uh, read this thing I sent you yesterday? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So this email was pretty uh, powerful. We got this email from, I want to say, Josh. I don't know what his name is, but you know maybe he doesn't want me to share it anyway. Please let us know where you're from and what your name is, though, when you write in. Uh, so Josh writes in uh, about why he loved Arrival so much. Quote, In 2008, my best friend from childhood died in a horrible car accident at the age of 23, 10 days before his son was born. At the time, tensions were high between myself and his new widow for reasons I won't get into, but I actually did not go to their gender announcement party. I can still remember walking into his parents' house the morning I got the call and seeing a picture of a pizza that had It's a Boy spelled out in pepperoni on it. Three years later, my little brother took his own life at age 25. He struggled with alcoholism throughout adulthood and ultimately lost the battle. The photo of all three of us together at my sister's birthday party some time ago is a painful reminder that I'm the only living person left in it. My mother would later admit to me that it was not the first child she had lost. She had a stillborn between my brother and I, but never had the heart to tell me. Obviously, these losses on their own would be enough to break anyone, but I move forward. I asked life's big questions and found atheism made the most sense to me. Realizing that our lives are finite, time instantly became more valuable to me. I decided that I had been wasting my life and wanted to be a father that my best friend and brother never got to be. My son was born December 2012. We gave him two middle names as a a tribute to my brother and friend. Less than a year later, his mother and I separated. It didn't bother me to get divorced because we both knew it was the right decision, to be honest, uh, but the losses were a strain on both of us. What bothered me was the time I would lose out with my son. Even with equal split, I couldn't help but think I'm being robbed of half his life, which brings me to a rival. People continue to have children knowing full well that child will one day die. To me, that's why this film is so beautiful and simultaneously heartbreaking. It asks the question, is life worth living when you know that it ends? It then answers that question with a resounding yes, as Amy Adams' character, Louise, chooses to move forward with getting pregnant even though she knows the sadness that lies ahead. She does this because the love and joy is stronger than that sadness. The old, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all messaging taken to the extreme. I would take painful living over painless nothingness 10 times out of 10 times. This movie left me an emotional wreck. When I got home, I hugged my son tighter than I ever had before, not just for me, but for the uncle and friend that he'll never know. I felt the need to write in and share my response so that listeners may get an opportunity to appreciate the value of time itself while they still have people in their lives to spend it with. This is the power of cinema, using an art form not just to entertain, but to cause a person to reflect on their own existence and give them an experience they will hold with them, maybe forever. Thanks to all of you for the joy you bring me each week. And Jeff, hold that kiddo tight. End quote. So, very, very powerful letter. Mm. Uh, 
it, yeah, it's it's gotten me a little choked up too just reading it. Um, and uh, you know, the, the question this movie asks at the end is, uh, if you could see time, right? If you could perceive the future and see all the horrors that come from it, would you still do things the same way, right? Would you still right. live life the same way? And uh, knowing that the tragedy that might envelop you, like, is is a certainty. Uh, and the, I feel like the movie argues the answer is yes, right? Yeah. That it is worth it. Uh, it. In that way, it reminds me a little bit of the ending of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where, like, yeah. tragedy is happening. But, hey, there is still something worth it about these experiences that we have. Uh, I, I had a question for you guys, though, which... I'm sure there's a very easy answer for this, and I, I feel like Jeff Kanata is going to explain this to me real well. Uh, and I'd be, <laughs> I'm taking that totally non-sarcastically, but I felt like there were almost two separate themes kind of grafted onto each other in this mm-hmm. movie, and I wasn't mm-hmm. entirely sure what the connection between them was. And I have some vague sense of it, but maybe you guys can help me, right? Because on the one hand... You have this sci-fi movie about talking with aliens and how these aliens are kind of testing us in a way or they're trying to help humanity in a way. And and the importance of patience and understanding and uh, empathy, right? And not reaching for a weapon when you can reach for an olive branch instead. Uh, and that stuff is all very important and powerful. Uh, but then there's it seems like there's this kind of separate point about living life and and tragedy and uh, and n- even knowing the ending still being worth uh, you know love and life and all that stuff being worth it still. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't 100 percent sure how these connected. Jeff Kanata, do you have any any thoughts on on how they connected? Do you feel like the themes are connected? Should they be connected? Uh, I 100 percent. I think they're they're connected. I th- I mean I think that. Um it's important to to note that the movie pivots around the notion of language, right? About communication, about listening. Uh, here are aliens who <laughs> literally came down to earth, sat there, <laughs> showed up and <laughs> waited and waited. And like, we'll show up at a very specific time and we'll sit here and we'll wait. It's your, it's in your, you're it's in your your hands humans what do you want to do you know like they didn't try to start the conversation they just sat there and waited and they wanted to see what humans would do with that opportunity right and that's life <laughs> you know that's what what are you going to do with that opportunity i think this notion that you have all of the information uh i mean they, they literally were coming to us for help right they, they yeah. say we're, we're gonna need you're gonna we're, we're gonna, gonna need, need your help in three thousand years, years. Yeah. yeah whatever that means like i don't think we have, do we have any sense of what that means yeah and i think Not that really yeah. that connection level that she finds like her she ultimately comes to the point that her connection with her daughter those moments of joy <laughs> i'm gonna have a hard time talking about this um <laughs> sorry Ah, sorry. Um, this was the first movie uh, that my wife and I have gone out of the house to watch together since we've had our kid. Uh, and um, you may understand 
Inception a little better once you have kids, but uh, this movie probably <laughs> probably added to that list. Uh, I mean, like the sound. Sorry, <clears throat> the sound of the baby in this movie. Um, it was for, sorry. <clears throat> it's okay. You don't, okay to, you don't need to apologize. Okay. You don't need to apologize. Mm-hmm. It, um, it was the first time that my wife and I had had been away from our kid. Like uh, her mom came over and was taking care of him, so we could go see this movie together and we were there sitting um missing him and uh just like the sound of that child like the the cooing of the baby in the movie sounded like jack right so um the message of like those moments however fleeting are worth it Sorry, you guys can go. I'm gonna have a hard time talking about this. <laughs> no. It's all I, good. Uh, it's all good, yeah. Jeff. Uh, I was. It, it hit me in a very powerful way, mm-hmm. and I think that I think that is the that's that's what this movie has to say is, you know those those moments we have. Like you know, I I've brought up on the show many many times this thing that has really resonated with me uh, that John Barton says in his um, Talking Shakespeare videos uh, that all art is is wrestling with this notion of time like that's what all art is trying to deal with is mm-hmm. is the fact that we as humans experience time um and I, and i think that it's a it very profoundly addressed in this movie that you know we we can't wrap our heads around how stuff begins and ends right there's beginnings mm-hmm. and there's endings and the endings are coming and we try to put it out of our head that endings happen but the moments in between, the bright spots are worth enduring the endings. And that's kind of this, this level of communication. Like it's all about relating to your fellow man, relating to your family. Like it, connecting is, is important and connecting is what adds vibrancy to those little moments. Devendra, any thoughts on, on the two themes at the end? Like, how, how did you conceive yeah. of them? Or it's, you- uh, yeah, I think the way you're putting it, Jeff, uh, makes a lot of sense. I uh, knew Jeff would deliver yeah. on this. I was like, <laughs> Jeff is going to deliver on an explanation on this. <laughs> yeah. For me, too, it's also the idea that um, I was also trying to, like, bring these two themes together. And, uh, you know, Amy Adams' character says something towards the end of the film about how once she started to learn the alien language, which... I guess just by learning it, right? You have a conception. You start to have these flashbacks or flash forwards. You can start to see the skips in time and you can start to just, I guess, understand time in different ways. And first of all, I found that fascinating as to like a path towards peace, right? Because for all the discussions and all everything we can have with each other, if you truly understood the, you know, lasting impact of, you know, what these discussions mean uh, in the grand scale of time, right? Your petty squabbles are meaningless. And I think that's partially it as mm. well. Um, mm. When I it really, comes to, I really like that. Devendra. Yeah. 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 In, in her, in when it comes to her child, right? Yeah. There, there is going to be a great tragedy at the end of this, but I think the way she understands it and the way she learns to love it or love her time with her child is that yeah? This this is what's here. This is what you have to appreciate. I don't know if it quite gels with what I'm thinking in terms of the message of peace, but yeah, I, I guess tragedy is it's going to be a big deal. Um, we all experience it. Um, you know, I lost a family member this year too, and that feeling of grief is difficult to work through. And I, I honestly feel like I'm sort of going through that again with America and with our democracy. Like I have this great feeling of grief. 
And what will keep us going forward is the idea that, yeah, there's there's a lot to, you know, there are probably a lot of great experiences you've had with that person or someone you've lost. At the same time, when it comes to creating a better world, um, there are things you can look forward to, even if, uh, you know, in the short term, things are rough. There's there's another point I want to make, too, which I think is a beautiful thing that the movie does. I, I believe, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe at no point when she's traveling through time or when she's experiencing her past, mm-hmm. do we see anything that is negative? Like there's a joy. Right. You know, I think the movie does a really good job of making um, uh, Jeremy Renner's character's position valid. Uh, like mm-hmm. I, I could totally understand somebody saying that that's just awful. Um but also never dipping into a flashback where they're fighting about it. Like there's no right. – like even her description to her daughter about why daddy's not around is like played in this very positive loving context. Um, and and I – I mean I guess there is that one flashback where the girl is talking about the – the name of something that isn't a completely positive thing, but right and and, what I'm try- and the flashback where the girl uh, passes away as well. But yes, I, I or it's it, and technically I believe it's a flash forward though, Jeff. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. it's a flash forward. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the like the love the love of those moments I think resonates and also simultaneously doesn't give short shrift to the opposite perspective. Right? I, I came out of it. Well, I agree with you, Dave, that the movie I think has a position that is. Uh, you know, it is worth it. Yeah. I think I, I walked out of the movie and my wife and I had that discussion in the car ride home of like, what would you do if you knew? Like, what would you do? And I think you can completely sympathize with Renner's character's position. I think that's a legitimate position to take is that I can't be with somebody that would make a decision to do that. You know, right? And I think that's the, that's the real reason he uh, we don't even know what I guess the core of their disagreement was. Um, they they do have like a minor argument, I think, at some point during the film. Uh, but it's we don't know if he's mad that she lied to him, or that she didn't tell him, or the fact that he knows this this is going to happen. Right. You know, and those are two different things. Let me let me throw out a few other things, guys, because I, I have some things I want to say about uh, the rest of this film. Firstly, I, I did think it was kind of interesting the way the movie plays with time compared to a movie like say Time Crimes. You know, we've seen movies treat uh, mm-hmm. time travel uh, in different ways. And when you a movie like Time Crimes treats time travel as a prison, right? That mm-hmm. this is a thing that you're trapped in and you're trying to get out. And this movie is the opposite. I feel it. It treats time travel almost as like a choice. You know that that hey, you have the choice to mm-hmm. to decide what to do. Now I, I it's don't. It's not actually, really time travel. It's time like visioning. Yeah, time visioning. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I don't even know. Th- th- that's the thing. Is does she even have a choice? You know, is it predestined? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not 100% clear to me um, right, right, what, how right. the movie perceives that. So, right. so I just want to point that out. Going back a bit, though, I do think that the movie re- revels in nerdery in a way that I think is really <laughs> awesome. You know, the, yes. the way that it exp- they've wrote this entire alien language and came, not only came up with the, the language, but came up with a, a tech inter- like interface mm-hmm. UI for oh, for translating so the language. Awesome. I, kinda, so I would have good. liked to yeah. see a little more because it seems like we jumped very quickly from how do we talk to these people to having auto translation. Yeah, that, that was the thing that I thought was kind yeah. of a downside uh, of yeah. the movie is that this uh, bizarre Jeremy Renner voiceover just ripped me right out of the movie because <laughs> it, it felt like it was part of a subplot that just never 
got done, like that maybe he was narrating uh, a documentary or something about it. And it's, why is Jeremy Renner giving a voiceover? Who is he talking to? I just really? had no idea what was. Uh. Yeah, what like he just is talking as right, though he's right, narrating right. A, a BBC documentary. It didn't, about it didn't it. take me out of the movie, but yeah, yeah I need to rewatch. It, it, it really took me out. I, I just thought, what was that about? Because mm-hmm. he fast forwards past like the, the movie mm-hmm. is so deliberately paced in its first you know forty mm-hmm. minutes that he fast forwards past. Weeks of plot in right. it, like a thirty-second time period. It just I felt guess it very, sort of yeah. felt like a Terrence Malick thing of like people just like talking to themselves and telling us what they're thinking. But yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. But it, it, that happens at no other. Well, right, actually, right, you're right. right. Amy Adams does do it at the beginning of the yes, film. Yeah, but, like, uh, and even at the end too. Like that's we're hearing, and that's this is based on a short story, right? And right. that is kind of something you can do. In you know written fiction that you can't really do on film very easily. Yeah. So th- that was the only. Uh, uh, a downside of the movie, but I, I did. There was moments of absolute brilliance to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, all in the editing. I've been mentioning editing a lot in the Slashing Guest recently because I really just do appreciate it a lot these days. But uh, when she says what a non-zero sum game is, you know, yeah, uh, and then it's flashing yeah. and it's it's doing what you think is a flashback, but in fact is a flash forward, and then you realize that when Jeremy Renner says it, that is when she learned that term. Yes. Uh, yeah. Super cool moments of realization throughout the movie like that, and uh, that I really mm-hmm. enjoyed. So I love the uh, the big reveal too with the the party with the, what the Chinese general. <laughs> I, and I, just, thought it, I thought it was almost comical to be honest. It's, not, it's not, a little comical, not in a bad way, you know. Yeah. But just I, I had a big smile on my face because he's like, and the secret words you said yeah. to me to yeah. stop World War Three were, <laughs> and he's saying it really slowly. It's very it's <laughs> very clear, very... but also like that idea of like. Like learning something from the future to help you in the past is right, just and, and then it then it's a like a causal loop. It causes yeah. itself. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I love that kind of uh, time travel stuff. Yeah, so really cool moments. Talking about this makes me want to see the movie again, guys. Yeah. So um, if, you're, if you're ready for your heart to be broken again, but yeah. yeah. Any uh, any closing thoughts on the film? I think we all really enjoyed it and found a lot to like about it. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I you know. I really didn't have a lot of uh, hope for Blade Runner sequel <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, just seeing his work and I, like, this could be the one guys, this could be the one where it was worth going back to the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> this could be the one. Yeah, maybe so. I, I mean, I was convinced after Sicario, Jeff, but that's, oh, I, yes, I, I yeah. was hopeful after Sicario, but here's him doing genre stuff, right? Yep. Here's him like working in that wheelhouse and revving up for Blade Runner. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and as the movie came to an end and Amy Adams is reflecting on her life and her daughter, you have to ask yourself, who is the real arrival in this movie? <laughs> so, yeah, explain. <laughs> Who's the real arrival? The arrival clearly could be referring to her daughter as well. So, because... I- uh, Okay. You, you, when you, you often talk about a baby like they're arriving. So Right, right. Anyway. Enjoy, enjoy that, Devendra. <laughs> All right. I, I guess if we stretch a little, I could see that. No, I don't think it needs stretching at all. But anyway, uh, that's going to bring us to the I end get, of our review. I, I yeah, would just want to say uh, I also think it's uh, totally understandable that Jeremy Renner would, would divorce her because any woman that can see the future, you're, never, you're literally never going to win an argument with her. <laughs> It's the world peace, okay? He just has to learn the language. Just do the she's, work, Jeremy. She's going to be pissed at him for shit he hasn't even done yet. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. Rough. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, before we wrap up, I should, I should point out the way the movie explained that 
mm-hmm. language can reconfigure your perception of the world, and yes. that therefore it, it's building a house, you know, like a uh, a sort of f- uh, uh, conceptual house. And okay, you need to understand what different parts of language are, and then oh, by the way, language can reconfigure the way you see the world, and oh, by the way, this alien's language can reconfigure the way you see time. You know, like yes. every yeah. step matters in that. And mm-hmm. uh, and oh, I love. That's the thing I was going to say uh, earlier. Is I love as a, as a as a person who has been fascinated with science fiction my whole life. I've always wanted a movie where the aliens' brains function fundamentally different than human beings. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yep. you know. And this movie expresses that in such a cool way uh, because it's like, why, why, why should aliens? even perceive the world the same way we do. You know, it's like we always deal with the aliens and they're just like sort of like us or they're creepier, you know, animals that are similar. On, on that note, Jeff, you know, the the Fermi paradox, which is this idea of why is the universe so vast but we haven't met any alien species yet. The the There's a few reasons in, in this article at waitbutwhy.com about the Fermi paradox that really resonate with me. You know, in trying to answer the questions of why we haven't encountered aliens yet, one of the answers might be we have encountered them and that we just we just can't tell we can't perceive them like yeah. like maybe their way of talking is so different than ours that we can't understand and um mm-hmm. so for instance maybe it takes them 10 years to say hello right uh, or maybe right. it takes them 10 milliseconds to say hello and they move so quickly that we don't we don't know yeah they're like hello 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 and we're just like we can't even tell yeah and then um, and then also uh but then a couple of other ones that are particularly relevant both to the movie and this week is uh, another one is that uh, that any civilization once it becomes advanced enough destroys, it destroys itself, itself, right? So, yeah. and that's called the Great Filter. And maybe we've either passed the Great Filter and we are the most advanced uh, civilization <laughs> in the universe, nope. or we haven't, know. or we, we just haven't... elected the Great Filter. <laughs> it's, it's possible. It's yeah. possible. Um, and then finally, uh, there is also the one that actually I find the most profound to consider is what if we are just uh, an ant? Uh, on that has like a super highway that's being built next to it. Like we're we're an ant hill next yeah. to a super highway. If, if someone's building a super highway, would you stop and let the ant know, hey, we're building a super highway next to? You? No, you wouldn't give a crap about what the ant thinks or what it's doing. You're just gonna build your super highway. Like maybe there are things going on in this universe that are so vast and incomprehensible that, and we are so insignificant that no one's either even bothering to tell us mm-hmm. what's happening, right? And when I see a movie like this where these aliens can see through time. They're fourth dimensional. Yeah, they're fourth. It makes me think, huh. Uh, yeah, huh. Like, like you said, like <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, there's just a, a sort of order of magnitude of, of concepts that we can't comprehend, right? Mm-hmm. That, uh, that yeah. is why we haven't encountered any intelligence. Li- intelligence I, can, I love how so. this movie paints broadly because it leaves, it leaves a lot of things open, right? Like the aliens say in 3,000 years, we'll need your help. But like, these sequel. humans, yeah, sequel. Uh, these humans, you know, can't even grasp the concept of dealing with extraterrestrials, right? Without fighting, <laughs> what is a human going to do to help these squid creatures in three thousand years? Like that, that my mind is still kind of like churning to figure out, like what, how could we help these things? And also, um, you know, just the idea too, like releasing a book about the alien language, uh, sort, you know, dot dot dot, world peace. It's like, oh, okay. I guess other people are starting to have time dreams or 
right. time visions or something. Like, too, imagine like, unleashing that there? power upon the world to see time. You know what uh, would happen there? I'd, lo- I'd love for that for voters. Uh, I want man, this. dude. I have enough guilt about not using my Duolingo now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there you go. All right. I, I also want to say, Dave, real quick. Uh, I, that I think like ten percent of the audience got that reference, Jeff. But continue. <laughs> continue. <laughs> that wait, but why article that you referenced literally created. Uh, we have concerns. That was yeah. the article oh, yeah? that yeah. that started. We have concerns. I remember. I think we've we've mentioned that a few times on the podcast. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's a great article, and you should read it. It's called the Fermi Paradox. Just Google the Fermi Paradox; you'll find it. Um, or uh, listen to the very first episode of the We Have Concerns. Uh, you know, we talk about it. Fl- flip a coin. Decide. Decide <laughs> what to do either way. Uh, all right. So that's going to bring us to the end of our review of Arrival. In her review of democracy. Stay yeah. tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Devendra, where can we find more of your work on the internet this uh, week? I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of sad for a while. Are we, reading the, are we reading the comments on this article on Slash Home or not? Guys? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaping ahead in my time vision, <laughs> and I can see it's going to be a hellscape. How about you, Jeff? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And uh, I, I do a show called We Have Concerns, which you may have heard about recently. Uh, I, that's at wehaveconcerns.com. And uh, I do a show about video games called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Find all my stuff at davechen.me. And uh, follow me on Twitter at davechensky. Find my film The Primary Instinct on Hulu and at theprimaryinstinct.com. Thanks for listening. Next week... Uh, we are going to do a review of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which I may or may not <laughs> you be... You sound so excited. I'm really not excited about this at all. Um, <laughs> for those who don't know, I'm one of the few people that pretty much not hates, but... Yeah, I, 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 hates. Has a, has a strong disdain for... Loathes. Almost despises. all the Harry Potter films. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I think we're also going to try to do a doubleheader and do a Handmaiden review as well. We're going to give that a shot mm-hmm. because... That is a those movie movies go together. Yeah, yeah, those movies go together real well. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. Uh, find more episodes at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. And uh, what else? Also find our theme song at AdamWarrock.com and our SlashFilmCorp music at SimonMHarris.com. Uh, appreciate your listenership. We're out. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First time director Wallace Byrne Travers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your winkle. Technician James Wigington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out who exploded Vivian Stone. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast 
or wherever you get your podcasts.